0: The word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message.
1: I have been sharing the gospel since 1989 as a 16-year-old. Um, I got saved. Um, and in an Assemblies of God church, and I was, uh, I was, I had more zeal than I had wisdom. And the youth pastor said, "Hey, you need to share the gospel in your community." Well, I lived in the ghettos of Atlanta, and there was a lot. So I got to be careful. There are small kids in here. Let me use a cold words. Uh, there are a few. Um, let's just say there were some ladies of the night were on the streets, and um, and you know what I'm saying, and. Professional dancers, but not the ballet kind. And, um, and that was my world. So I started sharing the gospel in that world. And next thing you know, I saw young ladies that I went to school with um, that were back then, it was called escorting. I'm going to leave it at that. Y'all can figure it out. They, and they were, they were escorts. And it broke my heart. And I thought, well, these people need to hear the gospel. But nobody was doing it in the church. And back then, nobody would support me. Now, if you haven't heard about human trafficking, you're just living under a rock. But back in the 80s and 90s, no churches, there were only two of us that I knew in the country that had a ministry that was fighting trafficking. Churches would tell me there was no such thing. We we know there's, you know, immoral stuff going on, but we're not a third world country. There's no trafficking going on in, in America. And they would just shut the doors to me like, if you guys would just come out on the streets with me, and you would see what I'm seeing, and you'd see that it's happening. There would be some of these, uh, the guys who solicit the ladies, the it, start, the name we, it starts with a P, I'm going to leave it at that, the guys who solicit the girls, they would bring them into church parking lots. Police would think they were being shady, but if you pulled into a church parking lot, they just thought you were going to choir practice or something. So a lot of the girls we have rescued, we've rescued them out of church parking lots. Because the traffickers have learned, if you pull into a church, they tend to think you're there to praise the Lord or something. And uh, and so they've they caught on and they were using church parking lots because in Georgia, there's a church like every other block, there's another church. Churches everywhere, they're, they're, they're like dollar generals. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I'm talking about? There's a Dollar General, you sneeze, and they be right across the street from each other. And, uh, <laughs> and then Dollar General is the same thing like churches are in Georgia. There's one on every corner, and, and the traffickers know that. And that's when I started fighting it as a 16-year-old. Uh, I was playing basketball in Georgia. I was up for player of the year. And when I wasn't shooting basketball, I was down on the street sharing the gospel. I was a little zealous back then, pastor. And uh, I called myself a gospel gangster. And uh, I wasn't trained in church, so I didn't know how to do the Billy Graham Four Steps to Peace. I'd just walk up to somebody going, you're going straight to hell, you need Jesus. And uh, I didn't know any better. And, uh, but God has used that. And I went into the U.S. Navy, and after I got out of the Navy, we started this ministry called Awaken. And that's when we planted our first official um, safe house. So I tell people, uh, I've been married. Come August, it'll be 20 years. And... Um, My my wife and I will be married 20 years. The Lord blessed us. So don't be praying for no miracles when I share this. I'm in a church of God church. I'll be careful. Okay, listen to what I'm going to say first. The Lord blessed my wife and I not to have children naturally. And notice I called it a blessing from the Lord because my wife and I have adopted two little boys. The Lord could have easily made it to where we had children, but he had bigger plans than we did. And both my boys have come out of that arena. My oldest is now, so he's nine, y'all, ain't nothing cuter than a little black baby with an afro. Oh, Snooplicious. Some of you young people get that. The cutest little thing, like a little chocolate marshmallow with an afro. Now he's nine. Oh, cute as can be. But his mom was a professional dancer and one of the biggest clubs in Atlanta. And of course, when you're pregnant, nobody don't want to see that. So she lost her job, and she found out about me, and then we eventually got my first son. My second son is born into out of what we call incest. His dad is also his grandfather. His mom is also his sister. Figure that out. And when he impregnated her, certain, that she was 12, and she had the baby as she turned 13, and we got him from the hospital. She is now 19, and my son is now six. He's my white son. So I'm a black man who has a black son and a white son. My little white son, oh, little marshmallow-looking choker. Blue eyes, I love my white boo. I don't care what what anybody thinks about that. I tell people I want my house to look like the international farmer's market. (laughs) I do. My wife's white, so we'd have some pretty little Bruno Mars-looking babies anyway. Mixed babies be looking cute, too. So so I want want every ethnicity in my house because the Bible says every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to bow before him. And sometimes Satan will use ethnicity too much to divide us. He'll end up using that to divide us. And, um, and the gospel says, no, it, it should bring us together to show the creativity and the beautiful creativity of who our God is, but the enemy will use race and we'll, we'll wear our ethnicity more than we'll wear our faith. I'm a white American, I'm a black American. We'll say that before we even say we're Christian. So hear me this morning. I'm not trying to create Republicans or Democrats. I'm not trying to make blacks and white people love each other. I'm trying to create some citizens of heaven and if you'll love God, then you will love each other rightfully. Our issue in this world is not politics, the next president, the next whatever. We don't understand the gospel. And once you understand the gospel, you'll realize God created all people. Y'all, I said it at the graduation. I said it at y'all's graduation. I said, John 3:16. this ain't even my sermon. I'm setting it up. I promise I'm going to get y'all out of here on time. John 3.16, we teach it like it's an Awana's Children's Church Bible verse. We have butchered John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world. The world ain't talking about your cat, your dog, and your goldfish. The world's talking about people. The only thing God let Jesus leave his right hand for And come down to the earth as a baby. Adam and Eve were created as full-grown human beings. Jesus left the right hand of his father and came down to the earth as a baby who needed his diaper changed. I'm talking about some humility. The only thing God, his son, left the right hand of his father for was to redeem people. God put nothing above human beings. But we'll put careers and retirement and, and all kinds of stuff before people. I said to the young people, this graduate, I said, none of y'all will go out here and throw your iPhone down on the ground. But yet you'll break your classmates' heart and say something ugly. Shows we don't understand the gospel. We're just religious. Because you're putting stuff. You want to make sure your social media looks good. Y'all ever notice? I don't even watch. I have, I'm a 49 and I'm almost 50. So don't, I'm old. I have never seen a Facebook page. I do no social media, never seen one, but I've had kids bring little clips of things to me, and everybody on social media always posting their best angle, the angle that makes you look the slimmest. And nobody posting pictures when they breaking out in zits and they got diarrhea and stuff. <laughs> We're always trying to paint an image of perfection, but we're all really seeking. We want someone to really know us for who we are and love us at our best or at our worst. And there is someone who sees you. You can't hide anything from them. And yet, he says, you're the one I desire. You can, all your faults and flaws, you're trying to hide from creation. God says, I'm God. I can see all that. You can cover it up with everything you want. I see who you really are, and I still want you. God put nothing above people. And if you don't understand that, you're going to miss out on the gospel. And you're going to end up looking for a sugar daddy God instead of a holy God. Instead, you're going to be looking for a God who can give you a bunch of stuff when he's already given you his life. There's nothing more Jesus can give you than his blood on the cross. If you can't find any joy in that, he gives you a raise, a car, promotion, all that stuff's great, what y'all stated. But if you're making a God out of it, it's going to make a pathetic God. Because sometimes the worst thing God can do is give you what you think you want. Because if you can't serve him when you got a little, what makes you think you're going to serve him when he gives you more? My grandfather, I used to complain, y'all, when I first got a car back then, we called them hoopties, if they were like just raggedy things. Some of y'all too young. Some of y'all older know they had this car. I kid y'all not, it was called a Gremlin. The young kids don't know what it is. Trust me, guys, you ain't got no swag if you're driving a Gremlin. My first ride was a Gremlin. I'm 6'5", you know, huge man, and I'm in this tiny little can car when no girl's trying to go out with me, no Gremlin. <laughs> I was complaining about it to my granddad. like, man, I can't believe I got this old ghetto car. He says, grandson, you got a car. He said, I didn't own one. My granddad grew up in South Georgia. Blacks were not allowed to even go to high school in my granddad's county. They could quit in the sixth grade. White kids couldn't quit till they were 16. So my grandfather and my own mother, who's with the Lord, my mom never went past the sixth grade. They did not legally make African-Americans go to school beyond the sixth grade. Now, technically, they, you know, they were supposed to be, able to be 16, but they let African-Americans quit in middle school. So my mom went to fifth grade. She never went back to school. My grandfather could have been angry and bitter at the world. He loved Jesus. He said, grandson, what you whining about? He goes, this thing's dirty. Take it to the car wash and clean it. He goes, why should the Lord give you a better car when you don't appreciate this one yet? Oh, man. So, he said, he said, son, I had 12 children. You knew I walked to work. I took care of them. I fed them. I didn't take no welfare, no nothing. I worked my tail off. My grandfather ended up having owning gas stations and stuff with a fifth-grade education. Worked his tail-all to take care of all his kids. He wasn't going to take no hand out from no man. If he could work, he was going to work three, four jobs. He was grateful. And then when I got saved, and I saw that, and God said, if you're faithful and little, you'll be faithful and much. I started cleaning that gremlin up. Next thing you know, the Lord gave me better things over time. That's what we do. My son's going to travel with me for the first time next week, my nine-year-old. He's going to go to Idaho with me for a week. But he had to show me he was responsible before I gave him that kind of honor. He wasn't going to be at home disrespecting my wife and being rebellious and think I'm going to take him across the country with me. He had to show me he was was worthy of that kind of honor. That means I didn't love him. He was still going to be my son, and I was going to love him. But I wasn't going to take some disobedient child across the country with me. If he couldn't behave in Georgia with his mama who loves him, you think I was going to honor him and fly him across the country with me? That would be being a horrible parent to him if I was to do that. So if you got your Bibles this morning, come on, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to have some church up in here. I'm calling it mind power, mind power. I'm going to say to every person in here, no matter what your age, from the youngest to the oldest, every person in here, your biggest battlefield it's not what you do. It is what you think. Everybody in here, from me, to pastor, first lady. <laughs> I had to do it to you, Heather. <laughs> Y'all listen. Everybody in here, your biggest battlefield, your actions are a symptom. They're just symptoms. But the real root of everything that you battle with is not what you physically do. It's what you think. You'll never do anything that you don't think about first. That's why we preachers are always hammering you guys about staying in the word. We're not trying to aggravate you. We realize that you're just fooling yourself if you think you're going to be like Christ without knowing who he is. Let's just call it morality. Let's see how, forgive me for quoting my niece. My niece said, people will get on your last good nerve. (laughs) You can only love people so much in your human ability before you flesh out on some of them fools. Y'all know it's true. Why are you laughing? Because she knows it's true. This, you can only be so nice before you're ready to choke people out. So how are we to love them the way God has called us to is to have the very mind of Christ become our mind. You want, whenever I do counseling with someone, say they got a drug addiction. I don't bring them to my office and say, tell me the last drug you, you know. We, I don't even focus on their addiction. I just focus on what they should think on I don't ever talk about their addiction. Say they got an internet addiction where they're watching inappropriate images. I don't bring them in my office and go, tell me the last five inappropriate images. I always focus on what is lovely, what is pure, what is holy. And over time, I put so much stuff in their mind that they ain't got no room for that other stuff. I don't even focus on what their struggle is. I focus on who they should be. I started changing their mind because if I can change the way you think, I can change what you do. But if you're still thinking the same, you're gonna keep doing the same, and we call that insanity, right? I'm gonna keep thinking the same way, and thinking somehow I'm gonna be Christ-like. Good luck on that. Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> you gonna fall on your face trying to be super spiritual? That's called false humility. Your weakness will never be your biggest struggle. Pride is. Weakness has never caused anyone to fall. Pride has. The Bible says when you're weak, God shows himself strong. God's actually more tender when we can confess our weaknesses. It's when we're too boastful to admit we got any. Not me. Then God's going to say, I'm going to let you be a little weak God to yourself because only God has no flaws. So if you're not willing to admit your weakness and give God your mind, then you're going to be blaming the devil for something that's on you. He ain't forcing you not to give your mind to God. He can tempt you. He can entice you. He can bring stumbling blocks. But ultimately, he ain't controlling you 100%. You had to, you had to let him in. And God is saying, give me everything. God, come on, man. Let, let, I got to get on this. Come on. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. If you, don't know, if you don't have any Bible church background, this is what we call one of Paul's epistles. Apostle Paul. He uh, probably apart from Jesus Christ, our God in the flesh, you can easily make this argument that Apostle Paul was the greatest human being to ever walk the planet. Apart from Jesus, he was the greatest human being to ever walk the planet. A quarter of the entire New Testament is about one man's life. One man. A quarter of the entire New Testament is about his life. You might want to listen when this brother speaks. When a quarter of the entire Bible is about his life. But before you think that's because he's so awesome, he was slaughtering Christians before he became one. So before you start lifting him up and trying to make some celebrity preacher out of him, he was slaughtering Christians before he became one. So if you came in here with guilt today, I don't deserve this. Hadn't always been a great husband, great wife, great child, great coworker. That stuff sounds so sweet, but the Bible would actually call it false humility. You're putting your struggles above God's grace. Your sin will never be greater than God's grace. You have no choice but to release yourself if you believe in the gospel. This, I don't deserve it. I had not always been what I should be. I, I didn't love my kids the right way. Now they're adults. I cheat on my wife. I wasn't a good uh, wife to my husband. Uh, you can, we can sit here all day. It's false humility. You're acting as if you got the one struggle in life that Jesus' blood wasn't great enough to redeem. Sounds sweet, though, that I don't deserve this. No, we don't deserve it. It's called grace. People say, I don't deserve this. You understand the gospel. You don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. It's getting something you did nothing to deserve. So you actually understand the gospel. If you come in, I don't really, this sounds too good to be true. That's why we say it's amazing. Because it doesn't make sense, does it? Americans believe in justice. Why does the innocent die for the guilty? That's God's judicial system. He took the perfectly innocent child, never sinned, never had an ungodly thought, ungodly attitude, never hurt anyone, was never selfish and self-centered and arrogant, and he was the one nailed to a cross where we're sitting in an air-conditioned building is where we're all perfectly saintly. It doesn't seem fair, does it? That's why we love him so much, because we know none of us did anything to call ourselves a Christian, but God's grace was good. So listen to what Paul says in verse 17. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as what? As the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? Now, this is the same guy in Ephesians 2 that says you're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul's not contradicting himself here. He was saying you are saved by grace. If you're a Christian, it ain't because of your works. If it's work-based, then that's self-righteousness, and you didn't need God. So Paul's saying we are saved by grace, but don't walk like the Gentiles do. He's telling them some of you came out of this. And though you're saved by grace, grace is not an excuse to keep living in sin. Grace is power over sin. Where sin abounds, grace much more. Come on, y'all, y'all hear me this morning? I'm gonna pretend we are at Black Church. Talk to me. Grace is not an excuse for you to stay a jerk because you've been forgiven. So Paul said, "Look." Remember, you're no longer, you, you were once the Gentiles and you were living in that, but you're not that anymore. That's Paul's way of saying don't let grace be an excuse for you to keep being who you were. Yes, God has forgiven you of all your past shady stuff, but if you used to break hearts and hurt people and wound your wife and kids and you were a horrible co-worker, you probably shouldn't be that anymore. You, you can't be blaming the devil for that and you're the grumpiest person in the workplace. But come to my church, <laughs> like what? Everybody might be as mean as you are. You got Romans 8, 28 on your coffee mug and you late every day at work and grumpy. Don't look tidy. Don't be asking God for no raise and you come to work and you ain't hygiened up and you late. But Lord, I, I declare a raise. No, you ain't going to get no raise. I declare you get an alarm clock. <laughs> but quit using God like it's some sugar daddy. To do what you're called to do because if he's a loving father none of you in here are going to reward your children for being disobedient but we expect God to just be hooking us up all the time and God's going you hadn't done the last 10 sermons the pastor preached to you why he got to come up with a new series <laughs> Y'all know it's true and we got to rack ourselves every we trying to give y'all a new message sometimes I just wish we could go raise your hand if you practiced on what I preached last week and if not I'm going we're going to do that one again I'm in this study trying to give y'all something. And you ain't even doing what I gave you last week. (laughs) Y'all listen. He goes, in the futility of their minds. He goes, don't walk as they do. But notice he didn't say because of their actions. He was saying their biggest battle is their mind. This was his way of making sure they didn't look at those people's enemies. For our battle is not against what? Flesh and so he didn't say, in the futility of their actions, what were they doing? They were persecuting the church. So Paul didn't give Christians an excuse to hate, to retaliate. Christians don't believe in revenge. We ain't got no boomerang faith. No. Christians are called to love even our enemies. So somebody did not like me in this church in North Carolina because I'm black, I don't have a mandate to dislike them back. That's what the world tells me to do. God tells me to love even my enemy. It brings no attention to God for me to love people who love me back, But for me to love that fool who hates me, now that might open up a Jesus conversation. Come on, y'all. See, that don't preach, see? All right? Black man, I'm supposed to be angry, right? I ain't trying to be angry at anybody. God's the judge of all things. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man, anything except to love him. The only thing Christians are entitled to is to show God's love. I'll let him fix you. Everybody's going to stand before him. He's pretty good at being God and just and holy. And I'm just called to be his hands and feet. No matter what society thinks about me, black folk, white folk, Democrats, Republicans, it's not them I'm trying to please. It's God, the one who saved my soul. So, yes, there's going to be a lot of people misunderstanding misunderstand me. My own family does. Because I made the statement I want to pray for the officers who shot George Floyd and Amard Arbor. And they act, like I say, I ain't like black people. I so I want to pray for those guys, because nobody who knows Jesus is doing that kind of stuff. So let me pray that they come to know the Lord. You think Christians would want everybody to know the Lord, but we want to pick and choose who's worthy of Jesus. Thank God he didn't say that were any of us, because I sure as heck wasn't deserving of it. I was living in that world and enjoying it, and somebody saw past all my shadiness and decided to come tell this 16-year-old about Jesus, and I thought Christianity was laughable at best. I was in the basketball and girls. And I thought, there's my God, Tracy. You know, Jesus. Does Jesus go to high school? Where he at? No, I was chasing my dreams. I was the last person in the world who thought somebody shared the gospel. I'm no religion. No Jesus Christ. And somebody looked past my rebellious attitude. This old white lady, she saw me the day before I came here. She's my, I call her my hero. She's 80 now. And she told me, she hired my mom to do some housework, and she started telling me about Jesus. As a 16-year-old, I thought, man, this white lady crazy. You know, Jesus Christ, where he live at in the hood? Where is he at? I need a sandwich. That's what I need. (laughs) I never thought I'd be here. Listen to this, y'all. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of what? ignorance that is in them he didn't say they were dumb Ignorance just means you lack knowledge he was telling them don't hate these people who are persecuting us they are acting this way out of ignorance they haven't experienced the power of jesus christ dwelling in their hearts can i get an amen, amen. some of y'all need to hear this because you get mad at that boss who ain't acting right that co-worker that family member who's crazy that you you got to see every year at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you'd rather choke them out than eat turkey with them. (laughs) See, you're still looking at the flesh, and sometimes the flesh will keep you from showing people's love, the love of God, and you may miss out on seeing someone come to know the Lord. We get so angry with how they treated us, what they've said to us, and we can't look past that they're still made in God's image. We can't look past it. Y'all, excuse me, I hope y'all don't mind. I drank some nectar from the heaven. I got one right here. Pastor got this for me. This is Jesus is drinking this right now. It's called Diet Sunkist. Mm. Oh, I'm telling you, somewhere in the scriptures it says, and Jesus Christ created Sunkist. Y'all, I'm kidding. Don't tell anybody that's some bad theology. It ain't in the Bible, it's in Algernon 316. <laughs> don't be flipping through that if you don't understand the church. There ain't no Algernon 316. <laughs> Y'all, let's keep going. <laughs> he goes, they, in verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Callous means they have hardened, like calluses on your feet and your hands when you work a lot. You just, they get rough. It just means it's hard for air and nutrition and things to get in it. He says, they have become callous. One of the worst things you can do is let persecution in life cause you to harden your heart toward God. They had become callous because they were going through things. So they, didn't want, they closed off their hearts to God. And so one of the worst things you can do is if you're, especially if you're a Christian, if you're going through something, a lot of people backslide when they're going through adversity, And when that's actually when you need to press in more to the church. Y'all, I ain't saying this to anybody in here, but y'all ever know those people, they disappear from the church, we ain't seen them for a while, and come to find out they got COVID or cancer or going through a bad relationship or got divorced. I'm like, well, why'd that make you leave the church? You should have pressed them more. But see, Satan convinces them because they're dealing with hardship, convince them where is God. I'm going, you have never read a Bible. If hardship makes you backslide, then you probably were never Christian anyway because Jesus was nailed to a cross. He didn't have no Mardi Gras parade to redeem you. He was nailed to a cross, and when it got hard, he didn't quit. So the worst thing we can ever do is lead the church because of hardship. That means you don't understand the gospel because you were redeemed through hardship. You were redeemed through hardship. Jesus paid the ultimate. Everybody always say, come to the Lord. Salvation is free. Don't cheapen it, though. It's free, but it was costly. It physically cost him his life to redeem you. So don't cheapen it like, oh, it's easy, it's A, B, C. I'm like, no, he went through everything to redeem you. says, even despising, not even the shame. That means they stripped him of his clothes, ripped his beard out in public, people punching and spitting on him. He's gotten his, ripping his back with the cat nine tails. They nail him to a cross at the highest point in the city. Y'all know who was supposed to die on the cross that day? What was his name? Starts with a B. Barabbas. Barabbas was considered the worst kind of scum. Even to the Jews, they were glad he was in jail. But all of a sudden, when it came to Jesus, even Barabbas probably thought it was strange. They never tried to get him out until the Jesus guy was up for it. Jesus always had something clever to say, Michelle, when people came at him. This was the first time Jesus didn't open his mouth. He was saying to Barabbas, even to Barabbas, is a worth dying for? They'd always say something to Jesus. He'd go, well, let me ask you something, he shut them all up. This time, when his life's on the line, he goes all stealth mode. Say something, Jesus. He said something in his silence. He was saying, I don't want to say anything that will get me free and get Barabbas killed today. So I'm going to be quiet. So I'll let Barabbas know, baby, I'll even die for the Barabbas. The rest of these people, they won't have nothing to do with you. And I know who you are. And Barabbas, you know I'm a better person than you. But I'm going to stay quiet so that they don't get overwhelmed by what I'm saying and let me go. So you go ahead and go, baby. And be quiet. I'm going to go silent so my love can speak loud. And he said, Don't you allow your heart to get callous because you're going through some stuff. He went through some stuff too. And he overcame it, and he will help you overcome it too. When you're young, you don't get this, but come on, some of y'all seasoned like me. Remember how when you were 15, you used to freak out about everything. Some of y'all mamas, you ever see those ladies who they young, they only got one child. They like all oh, spraying lice all over them every time they walk out the house. Wait till you have that second kid. <laughs> that second kid, just are like, please? Until they have a kidney hanging out of their rib cage or something, you're gonna punch like, "Oh, that'll be all right, baby." Push that back in. <laughs> y'all know it's true. <laughs> that first one, me and my wife was like, "Oh, you know, y'all don't." We wouldn't let people hardly hold them. By the time we got the second one, like, man, y'all want to hold the baby? I want to go watch the basketball game. <laughs> I'm telling you, you freak out more. But the more you walk with the Lord and He's shown His faithfulness, that's why our grandmothers didn't freak out as much. Because they'd been through so much and God had provided to where they're like, baby, I know right now you think your heart's broken. You'll never love again. Trust me, sugar. You'll love again. You're like, I'm hurt so bad right now. And they would be so calm. You're like, what's wrong with them? They had experienced God's faithfulness and provision and they didn't freak out at every little thing. They've seen ups and downs, death, they've been to funerals, they've seen bad economy, they've seen racism, they seen all kinds of stuff. So they're just chilling. They're going, the Lord got us through all of that, baby. He'll get you through what you're going through right now. And it just relieves you to hear their, their voice and their reason why all of us are freaking out. Your grandma over here making some chicken. Grandmama, we're freaking out. I know, baby, you want some chicken? Like, why are you chilling like this? She had experience. come on y'all, y'all don't they had experienced some stuff. We were freaking out your grandma were here watching soap opera, like it'll be all right, sugar. <laughs> they had seen the Lord's faithfulness, so they didn't harden their hearts toward the Lord when things got tight. They knew that that probably wouldn't be the last season. Sometimes life's really going great, and other times it's seems like, what's going on? And they were just consistent through it because they'd seen God's consistency and his faithfulness. Come on y'all, listen to this. They become cowards, giving themselves, verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It always makes you focus on you. Because you can spend your whole life blaming everyone else for what you are not. He goes, that ain't the way that you learned Christ. Notice he didn't blame it on the enemies. He goes, yeah, they're coming at us. But he goes, what's that got to do with how you've learned Christ? We're Americans. We love to pass the buck. That's what Americans do. You ain't got your life together, you can say your mom didn't cook enough cookies, daddy worked too long, He ain't come to enough soccer games, got your heart broken, your spouse cheated on you, your boss didn't give you a promotion. That's what Americans do. We spend our whole lives blaming everybody else. And the gospel makes you look at you. Nobody will ever hurt you more than you will. Because if you don't get a right understanding of who you are and what you possess in Christ, you give people way too much power over your peace and joy. That's why forgiveness is so powerful. Because it really ain't about those who hurt you. It's about you being you. Because they may not change. But if you change, they don't impact you the same way they used to. Come on, are y'all hearing me? We got these things called trigger points. People know when they used to talk about this, it just gets you fired up. Now, because God has renewed your mind, they can still come in. You still got co-workers, and I guarantee you, everybody in this room still has a family member, Even though you've been saved for a while, they still lost. They still wilding out in the world. They've seen God change your life. It hadn't convinced them to become Christian yet. You still got co-workers and bosses and people that know you believe the faith that you confess. They still haven't repented yet. So what, what do you got to do? They're still saying ugly stuff, but hopefully if you've changed, they realize they can't get to you as easy as they used to because the gospel has changed you. So now all that ugly stuff that used to trigger you and get you all fired up, they're saying it now going, uh-uh. And they're going, what's wrong with you? They're not reacting. After a while, they'll leave you alone because they'll realize they can't hit you there anymore. It don't bother you. Why? Because God has changed you. Now, you're finding your joy in him. So no matter what they say, they're not the source of your joy. Jesus is. Jesus is. He goes, that's not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in whom. Paul's saying, look, you could have heard a false gospel that made it anything. Of it. If they're telling you there's anything other than Jesus to find yourself, Paul's saying you didn't hear the real gospel. The real gospel is Jesus, even to his last dying breath, was merciful. Come on, man. Are y'all hear me? Even as he hung on the cross in his last dying breath, you'd think he'd say, God, smite these fools. Even in his last dying breath, he says, Father, forgive them. Why his enemies are mocking him. He had the audacity to pray blessings over them. Jesus, call them fire on these fools. Get Gabriel and the angels and rip their heads off. Y'all know if we were God, that's what we'd be doing. I'd be like Clint Eastwood. I'd be blasting all them fools. Like Gabriel, all y'all get them. Rip them to pieces. That's why I'm glad he's God and I'm not. He's slow to anger. So that's why Paul can say that. He goes, have you heard about Jesus? You think what you're going through church is hard? Do you know what he went through? At least some of the stuff we get We deserve it because of stuff we've done that's shady. He didn't do anything to deserve any of this. And yet he was mistreated worse than any of us will ever be. And Paul said, have you heard about Jesus? Come on, y'all. Come on. Before you whine about something, think about what he went through to redeem you. Because we love the pastor buck. I know people who work in the education world, when COVID hit, that means they didn't lose their jobs. They still took out, they still took the stimulus checks that Biden handed out and spent it on themselves. And then they want to meet with me and talk about what's wrong with politics in the world. And I go, did you lose your job? They go, no. I go, did you get stimulus checks? They go, yeah, we got a purse, a patio. I go, oh, but you want to whine to me about what's wrong with the world. What's wrong with the world is your stingy heart got nothing to do with no Biden and no politician. He didn't tell you where to spend that money. You didn't even lose your job. If you really wanted people to see Jesus, you'd have been looking for neighbors who lost everything. And say, hey, I don't need this extra $1,500. Baby, we still got our income, but they have lost everything. Like maybe if we go down and pay their mortgage, it might open up their hearts for us to tell them about Jesus. Let's find out which families can't feed their children right now. And maybe we can say, you know, I got my same income. We've been living off that, so I don't need the stimulus but all they want to do is come whine to me about what's wrong with buying, what's wrong with the economy, what's wrong. The devil's working. I'm like, yeah, in you. In you. See, the gospel is most effective when it's least about you. The more you keep waiting for the next hookup, thinking, until you get a raise, until you get more money, bless people with what you got now. You got enough now? If most of y'all like me, most of us need a treadmill, so we got more than enough food. (laughs) You got enough food to bless somebody. You got to be wealthy to do that. You got to be wealthy and invite somebody over because you you made just a little bit too much dinner tonight. But see, we're so self-inwardly focused, and that's why a lot of times we keep going, Lord, I've been tithing and giving for years. Where are you at? And God's going, no, you're only giving that so it can just benefit you. I would give you more if you realize that's the purpose of me blessing you is so you can be a blessing to others, not so you can accumulate more stuff for yourself. It's not that People don't see the kingdom that way. You want to raise and you get a bigger house. What's wrong with the one you got now? Go bless somebody. They can barely stay in theirs. That's why a lot of you aren't saying prayers answered. No is an answer. I got children. I say no all the time. My wife's a registered dietitian. That I means she's into healthy food. You wouldn't know it from looking at me. But she's into like green vegetables and this stuff called couscous. I thought it was a cuss word. I grew up into projects. We ain't no couscous. I thought, why do white folks eat crazy stuff? I'm serious. She's like, this kale, she's like, I'm going to make you an alternative to potato chips, baby, you need to lose weight and get your health. I said, okay, I love some potato chips. And she brought out these things, it was green. I thought, what kind of potato chip is green? She goes, well, it's, it's, it's a kale chip. I said, okay. I was like, this is like a vegetable. It was horrible. But I needed it. And my kids do, too. My kids don't want to eat anything green. So we my wife trying to feed my son broccoli. I kid y'all not. He screamed the other day. He goes, ah! Like we were abusing him. He goes, what is this? My wife goes, it's a vegetable, boy. It ain't poison. He's like, well, can you fry it? No, I can't fry it. I wanted her to fry it, too, to be honest with y'all. But sometimes, right? Sometimes no is an act of love. Sometimes because you love someone, Come on, adults. Y'all mad? Come on, Pastor. Can I, y'all got any music, anything? Can, can y'all, look, this ain't to manipulate anybody. Let me get the praise band up. Y'all do a song after me. Do one of the ones y'all did earlier. Come on, to help me rap this thing. Come on, come on, to help me so I can get y'all out of here on time. Come on. Listen to me, adults. Young people, hear this. This was way off script. Sometimes when you love somebody, the Bible says God disciplines those he love. According to the Bible, if your parents don't have a parameter in your life, they don't love you. If your parents are just trying to be your best friend instead of stewards of you, then according to the Bible, they aren't loving you properly. Sometimes your mom will say no, young ladies, to you dating a certain guy because she dated a dog in her day and she knows where that's going to lead. She's not trying to block you from having fun. She's trying to block you from getting your heart broken. Sometimes your dad will say no to that guy because that guy reminds him of who he was before he got saved. He goes, I know that guy ain't going to lead you no Bible study. That ain't where that dude's trying to lead you. So pops is going to have to step up and say, no, thank you, sweetie. Only way you're going to see this, fool, is you sneak behind my back because I know he's going to break my precious daughter's heart. I have two boys, and right now we're housing 204 girls. So I tell people I have two sons and 204 daughters. I'm raising my two boys up to be husbands and fathers. I never talk to them about girlfriends. I never do, because the Bible says God's coming back for a bride, not a girlfriend. A girlfriend can be a hookup, but she can boot her tail tomorrow. God's all about commitment. You'll never read the Bible says God can't wait to come back to see his girlfriend. He's coming back for a bride. That means God's about that commitment. And marriage ain't always staring in each other's eyes. I love my wife, but she gets on my nerves sometimes. And I get on hers. I'm serious. I've been wanting to watch NBA, and she wants me to go watch some Downton Abbey. I'm like, what is this? I told her, this is worse than Hallmark. I'm not going to have any testosterone left after watching this. (laughs) Y'all, but we're married. You do what you got to do because you love them. So guess what? I was in there snotting it up (laughs) because I wanted to get me some smooch with my bride. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. That's what love does. Love says make up or not. My wife had a double mastectomy. I had to change her drains every day, bloody, gooey. She says, I don't want you to see me like this. I said, baby, I promised you for better or worse. She said, I know it's just body parts. But for a woman, it matters. I said, I get it. I'm a guy. We don't know it's like to have no babies and have body parts. I said, trust me. I ain't even trying to act like I understand what that is. But I promised you in our wedding, For better, We were young in our 20s, but I remember I said, for better or worse, in front of the pastor, 350 guests, and ultimately before the Lord, I promised that woman I would love her for better or worse. And she said, I'm so on a track. I'm a bloody mess. I can't wear makeup. I'm, I'm black and blue everywhere. I said, but you're still mine. You're still mine. But see, that ain't because I'm so great. It's because my Savior is. I told her, you ain't got to worry about losing me because I made a covenant with God and he was my first love. My wife was not. My commitment to her isn't just because I think she's awesome. The one who created her is. And if I hurt her, I'm hurting him. That's why my wife's always pushing me to stay in that gospel because she knows when I get out of line, Jesus going to straighten my tail up. And I'm telling me you love me and you just hurt that woman. Be quiet. Go over there and get your act together. That's what's kept me mad for 20 years. I'm not that good, but my Savior is. Amen. Come on, y'all. Paul understood the most important thing he could do was give his mind to the Lord. So that it helps me quit focusing on me all the time. Because if I don't give the Lord my mind, all I'm going to care about is my family, my finances, my retirement, me, 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 and some more me. But when I'm giving my mind to the Lord, I'm reminded that he died for the sins of the world not just his own disciples. He was looking even past their redemption. And if my Savior saw that as his purpose, to redeem the world, then I ultimately know all my dreams and desires better have someone else included in it other than my wife or children, or I'm going to miss out on some intimacy with the Lord. That's the essence of the gospel. Give God your mind so he can give you his. And don't you let your heart become callous or anything by the weight of the world. Persecution, misunderstanding, political upheaval, racial tensions, economy uncertain, all this stuff. It's even separating Christians. Christians are hating each other over politics. Shows we still don't understand the gospel because it was supposed to be the thing that unified us above everything. This was supposed to unify us, the gospel. Not what the world says. I don't care if the world tells me to hate some white folk. Jesus is going to have to tell me that. And if Jesus doesn't tell me that, I'm not marching with that tune. I'm going to stick with the gospel and let Him tell me who I'm to be, how, and whom I am to love. He is directing this ship. He gets the rudder it anywhere He wants it to go. And I know I'll find myself if I keep my heart and my mind connected to the Savior. Pray for us, as the pastor said. Uh, my youngest in my home is eight. We estimated she was five when she was introduced to the business. Now, for some of y'all judge me, think you're more spiritual than me. There are times I don't want to pray for these men. There are times I want to go choke one of them fools out. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about, especially those you have daughters. Y'all look all godly in here. Let somebody mess with your children and see if Mama Claus won't come out. My wife's as gentle as can be. Mess with my booze and see if my wife won't go ghetto on you. So it's hard for me sometimes. I told the pastor, it's the toughest thing the Lord's ever asked me to do. I love preaching. I hate fighting trafficking. But I love reaching those that out of trafficking. God didn't make me 6'5", 340 pounds to be a wimp. Sometimes I just want to take some of those men and go back to my BC days before Christ. I said, Lord, can I just have two minutes to go handle this dude? That's all I need. And some of y'all would be right there with me if you thought somebody was hurting yours too. So pray for me because sometimes all I can do is cry on a trip. And I'll have to, a couple months ago, past I had to spend a whole hour praying before I could go over and witness to a dude. I was so angry when I saw him with his arms around a little girl. She couldn't have been eight or nine. I just wanted to go over and hurt him the Lord want me to go and preach to him, tell him Jesus loves us. I, well, I don't want to tell that fool you love him right now. I want to arrange the meeting between him and you. I'll let you be his judge, but I'll go ahead and help him get there. Y'all know I'm talking about. I'll admit that. Y'all don't have to put me on no pedestal. Hey, I'm a Christian. I am not the Christ. Pray for me. Pray for me. Support us. Your pastor and his bride support us. He was right when he said he was going to support us much, I said, man, my biggest supporter supports us like 25 a month. He said, oh, don't worry. God gave us a number. And I said, "He really going to stick with it? And you have. That's why I was shocked because most people who tell me that, they support me for a couple months and they bounce on us. And they have supported us for years. Even before I left, his check came in again. There he is again. I thought, blessing us through, the, um, through my PayPal. I thought, they are consistent. But most people were not. They come up, stroke my ego, love what you're doing, pastor. We're going to support you, and they wouldn't. That's why I told them, don't get my hopes up is what I meant. You didn't say, what I meant was, dude, that's awesome, but he probably won't do that before a month or two, and he's going to disappear on me. And he's been several years, and he's still faithfully giving. Come on, Heather. That little eight-year-old girl, an eight-year-old little girl is eating today instead of being pimped out. Because of your support on the month. Y'all's monthly giving supports her entire school, food, medicine. (laughs) She ain't worried about what another man's going to do to her. She's in a home right now getting fed. And it ain't coming from my income. She don't even know y'all. Because we can't tell y'all their names. This ain't Compassion International. We can't give you a picture of her. Safe house. But I know who's feeding her. Who's feeding her? Two white people from North Carolina, little black girl being fed every day from some people who's like, when didn't God know her name, Al. Use this and bless. To God be the glory is what y'all were saying. We don't even know their names, big Al. You do this for the Lord and give him glory. That's kingdom. That's kingdom mindset. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the gospel. Father, change your minds. We know that we all in this room, all of us are battling something. And the root of that is our mind, whether it's hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, loss, trusting you for finances or, or whatever it may be. We know the root of it is. You filling our minds with your truth, and your truth is going to remind us that you're a promise keeper. To hold on when we don't really understand what's going on right now. It's going to remind us that your word is true and that you're not a man that you would lie. Your word's going to remind us that you have a plan for us, Lord, to to not to harm us, but, but Lord, to prosper us, to give us our future and hope. Your word renewing our mind is going to remind us that even when we're unfaithful, you stay faithful because you can't deny yourself. Your love reminds us that there's nothing we can do that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You didn't love us um, because we were perfect, and you're not going to stop loving us when we struggle. You loved us because you are love, and that's what you chose to do. So, Father, renew our mind. So, when the enemy tries to bring doubt, when you were tested and tempted by the enemy, you would say, It is written, it is written. You kept going back to the word. You were letting us know that that's what we should do. When the enemy comes at us, we need to fill our mind with your word so we can remind the devil and ourselves, It is written. <laughs> and your word is the final authority. And we're going to stand on the rock, our firm foundation. Bless families that are here, those who are dealing with anxieties and fear and uncertainty, you're not a God of confusion, you're not a God of fear, but your perfect love cast out fear, because you have not given us a spirit of fear, or timidity, but a power, love, and a sound mind, Lord, that is a part of your word. If we put our trust in you, you will even put our minds at peace and make them sound. Father, we're asking you for mental sanity that's together in you. We love you, Father. And last but not least, if there's anyone here that's not born again, they've never surrendered their lives to you, never repented of their sins, I pray that you overwhelm them with your goodness. For your word says it is your goodness that leads us to repentance. It doesn't say it's your wrath. It says it is your goodness that leads us to repentance overwhelm us with the goodness of your blood your grace and your sacrifice and may we be so overwhelmed with that that we surrender our lives to you and ask you for your forgiveness and ask you to become our Lord and Savior we love You, father we praise you I thank you for the pastor and his bride and their family and this church I pray you protect them I pray you give them favor I pray that they make their presence known in this community that they are here for your glory. May there be standing room in this place as they reach out to be your healing hand, your feet, your love in this community. We love you, Father. We give you all the glory. Thank you, Father, that we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people, say it. God bless you. God bless you, and may the Lord bless
0: you. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our Connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, We hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.